It's November 4th, 1924. The president is a Republican named Calvin Coolidge. He is running for president for the first time as he came to the position when Warren G. Harding passed away before finishing his term. Coolidge, as the vice president, assumed the role of president in 1923. Coolidge's main rival for the presidency is former ambassador to the UK John W. Davis, the Democrat. 29 million Americans voted. There were 531 electoral votes up for grab and 266 needed in order to win. The state of Florida had six electoral votes available. In the near century of our statehood up to that point, Florida had been consistently voting for the loser of presidential elections. We were not a significant player in the national scene, but 1924 was the beginning of the end for that trend. We did indeed vote for the loser, Democrat John W. Davis, but it would be the last time we would do so for nearly 40 years. I'm Nick D'Alessandro, and this is Swing State, a mini-series presented by Wait 5 Minutes. For the next three weeks to prepare you for the upcoming presidential election, I'll be telling you about our significant role in national elections. We are a swing state, of course, meaning our electoral votes indicate the tide of an election result. We could go either way, and since 1928, we have been a reliable factor in deciding the final result. From 1928 to 2016, we have only voted for the loser twice. That is two out of 23 unsuccessful, 21 correct picks. So the next three episodes are about the exceptions that prove the rule. And today we'll be talking about the last year in our losing streak and how the Prohibition Party made a dent in Florida's politics. This is Swing State Part 1, 1924. Before we get into it, are you registered to vote? Have you checked recently? Well, why not check it out to be perfectly sure while you listen to this episode? Head on over to vote.org or register to voteflorida.gov and enter your information to check. If you aren't registered, don't worry. In the state of Florida, you've got until Monday, October 5th, so go check just to be sure. Also, have you requested an absentee ballot? You've got plenty of time for that, and it's the easiest and healthiest way to vote during these difficult times if you're not comfortable with voting in person. Voting may not change everything all at once, but it is the first and maybe easiest way to make an impact on what you want to see in our state and in our country. The links to do all that is at the top of the description below. Now, while you listen is the perfect time to sort all of that out. All right, on with the story. When Reconstruction ends in Florida, a few things happen to the political landscape of our state. Most states that were once part of the Confederacy were going out of their way to ensure that black voters were being disenfranchised, meaning they would be unlikely to have a say in national elections. As the 20th century raged on, the Southern Democrats who led the charge to disenfranchise black voters as well as poor white voters became the ruling party of the state of Florida. Because of that, for over 20 years, the people of Florida, almost without fail, voted for Democrats to the national scene. This is when Democrats were more conservative, more interested in small government and in state rights. Florida was part of what was called the Solid South, meaning that you could always count on the southern states to vote Democrat no matter what. 
On the other hand, from the turn of the century to 1924, the only times that Florida had voted for a winner was in 1912 and in 1916 to support wartime President Woodrow Wilson. Other than that, it was loser after loser, and 1924 was no different. John W. Davis was the Democratic candidate, a lawyer who had served under President Wilson. He had lost some popularity in the South as he was actually in favor of voting rights for black citizens, which was not a popular stand in the Democratic Party at the time. He was an unlikely figure to be running for the nomination. The Democratic Party was tearing itself apart, trying to figure out who they were going to nominate. The Ku Klux Klan had a large sway on Democratic voters, but many of the leaders in their party were at odds over whether or not to accept KKK's support. The first option for candidate withdrew from the candidacy, so they instead went for a man that was generally well-liked. That was John W. Davis. The shifting tides of the Democratic Party were not in Davis's favor as he found himself unable to sell himself to Northern Democrats, unable to appeal to Democrats who still supported Prohibition, and unable to get a solid stance at a national level against sitting President, Republican, Calvin Coolidge. Coolidge had built up a positive momentum. Warren G. Harding, the previous president, had been unpopular nationally due to his involvement in many scandals, including the Teapot Dome scandal, which ripped apart his reputation after his passing while in office. Coolidge, on the other hand, was confident and steadfast, but in 1924, he struggled, just as his opponent John W. Davis, to appeal to the many sides of his political party. Conservative Republicans found him too liberal. Liberal Republicans found him too conservative. So Coolidge, ever a quiet man, settled in and ran on a platform of small government, anti-corruption, and conservatism. This didn't please everyone within the Republican Party, especially the more liberal sect who decided that, instead of supporting the Republican Party line, they'd take their own route. They formed the Progressive Party, and their candidate, Robert La Follette, would be option number three. It was not enough to split the Republican vote, which, thanks to nearly every state over the Mason-Dixon line going red, propelled Calvin Coolidge to his second term as president. La Follette, the Progressive, only took one state, his home state, Wisconsin. When the results came in for the state of Florida, no one was surprised. Despite Calvin Coolidge's national popularity, Florida held the party line and overwhelmingly voted for the Democrat, John W. Davis, and his running mate, Charles W. Bryan. Nearly 57% of the popular vote in Florida went to Davis and Bryan, and so too did all six of our electoral votes. Coolidge came second, La Follette came third. And then there was the fourth candidate. He did not do very well in Florida, but where he did mattered to him and mattered to the values of the voters in that region. His name was Herman Preston Ferris. Ferris was the candidate for the Prohibition Party. This party had been around since 1869 and ran for decades on basically the exact same platform the whole time. They wanted to stop the selling of and therefore consumption of alcohol. Herman P. Ferris, just as Robert La Follette, was a part of the Republican Party. He left the party to strike out on his own and joined up with the Prohibition Party. He ran for many public offices over the years and never won a single time. He ran officially as the presidential candidate for the Prohibition Party in 1924 with an important running mate, 
Marie Caroline Brame. She was a suffragette and an active supporter of the Prohibition movement. During the early part of the 20th century, Presidents Taft and Wilson appointed her to positions to help advocate for Prohibition. It was a movement she devoutly believed in until the day she died. When the Prohibition Party rallied to bring themselves to the national scene, Marie Caroline Brame was the obvious person to run as a vice president. She has an interesting qualification to her relevance in history. She is the first female vice presidential candidate, but after women were allowed to vote. You see, in 1884, there was an all-female ticket that was brought to the vote, but that was before the 19th Amendment went through, making it possible for women to vote. Now, Marie Caroline Brem holds that honor. Speaking on Brem during the race, Ferris spoke proudly of his running mate's abilities and competence in advancing their cause. They were a surprisingly good team, and clearly some folks in Miami really liked what they had to say. The county in Florida that most supported their movement was Dade County, with nearly 30% of their voters choosing the Ferris Bram Prohibition ticket. Dade had been supporting the Prohibition movement for over a decade up to that point since 1913. Now that was before Dade and Broward split in 1915, but Dade County had solidified their role in the dry movement. Despite the popularity of industries that relied on alcohol in Miami, the movement was still propped up by a vocal group of Prohibition supporters, namely women and religious figures. Those who were against Prohibition in Miami didn't have much to complain about though, as the bootleggers and gangsters were making a healthy living off of their criminal activities. I imagine many of them wouldn't have minded a prohibitionist president all that much either. All told, Florida was the state that most supported the prohibition movement nationally. They only turned out 55,000 votes nationally out of 29 million. But the 5% of the population in Florida who voted for Ferris and his prohibition party was the most percentage they received from any state anywhere in the country. For some reason, prohibition was popular in the Sunshine State. Nevertheless, John W. Davis, the Democrat, takes all of the rural counties nearly unanimously. He takes Dixie County with 94%, Union County with 92.5%, and Madison County with 90%. Coolidge only took big numbers in two counties, both more urban areas, Pinellas and Palm Beach. Still, those were Coolidge's biggest counties, and he didn't even top 50% of the total votes in either of those counties. In the end, Coolidge only takes 28% of the Florida vote, with Davis taking 57. When it was all said and done, though, Calvin Coolidge takes 54% of the national vote, with Davis only taking a measly 29. Progressive candidate Robert LaFollette takes nearly 17%, breaking up the national vote. Florida's six electoral votes were not enough to bring Davis to the White House. Calvin Coolidge takes the win. By 1928, Coolidge sets the stage for the next Republican president, Herbert Hoover. He took up the mantle of the presidency just as the U.S. headed into the Great Depression in 1929. Florida, ever the Democratic state, did not like the Democratic candidate in 1928. His name was Al Smith. He was a Catholic, which was not popular in the South, and his big money ties rubbed against everything that Southern Democrats believed in. In 1928, Florida voted 56 to 40 in favor 
of Herbert Hoover, a Republican. The winning streak begins. Florida would not vote for a losing presidential candidate again until 1960, over three decades later. Next time on Swing State, 1960, Nixon v. Kennedy. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Swing State, a mini-series presented by Wait 5 Minutes. If you enjoyed this episode, please consider leaving a 5-star review below or share the show with friends on Twitter, Instagram, or Facebook. You can find the show everywhere at WFMPod. You can send me an email at WFMPod at gmail.com, and you can follow me at my personal account at WFMNick. Have you registered to vote? Did you check? I gave you plenty of time to do it. If you have, perfect. Thank you. If you haven't, we need you. Go to registertovoteflorida.gov to get started. There's a link below. I'll bug you every week until you do it. All the music used in this episode is from Lobo Loco. Check out more of their amazing music at the link below. I'll be back next Monday with part two of Swing State. Until then, I'm Nick D'Alessandro. Be good to yourself. Be good to others. Wear a mask when you go outside. And please, drink more water. Have a good week.